Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. It is so good to be with all of you this morning. Um, yeah, for those of you that didn't hear me the first time, I'm Pastor Sobi. I'm the associate pastor here. Um, it's kind of crazy because my wife and I came here about eight months ago, which is wild in my eyes that we've been here this long. And so we're just so grateful to be with this community, with this family here at Mosaic. And so grateful for Pastor Joe um, giving me the opportunity to speak and give the word this morning. And so for those of you that didn't know, we are entering into Holy Week, which is something that we as Christians recognize as the time that we reflect and also rejoice about the death and resurrection of Jesus and what that means to us. And so today is actually the start of it. Today is what's called Palm Sunday. How many of you have heard of Palm Sunday before, experienced that before, yeah? Okay, quite a few of you. And man, I'll say, growing up in church, Palm Sunday at the church I grew up in, back in Chicago, was just as big as Easter. They went wild for Palm Sunday, okay? So Palm Sunday, what they would do is the pastor, he would order a bunch of palm branches and hand them out to all the adults. Now, the kids weren't allowed any, but my parents would sneak me a couple. And man, the band would go crazy. They'd pick out all the good songs. Anyone remember um, In the Sanctuary by Kirk Carr? We lift our hands in the sanctuary. Anyone know that song? Yeah, yeah, a few of you. We would go absolutely nuts to that song. Waving our palm branches. I mean, it was a party. It was a party. And it was just such an awesome time to just give God praise because that's what Palm Sunday is. Palm Sunday is a day of praise. If you look back, you know, if you look in scripture, the significance of Palm Sunday was this. Back in the Old Testament, in Zechariah chapter 9, there's a prophecy given by the prophet Zechariah to the Israelites. And it says this. It says, there will be a triumphant entry, right? What's going to happen is a guy's going to come in riding on the colt of a donkey, and that guy that you see riding into Jerusalem is the Messiah. He's the guy that's going to save our people and be our God. And so what happens is it finally happens. It finally comes to fruition that Jesus, you, all over the Gospels, in every single Gospel, it mentions this story. But Jesus comes riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem, and the people are like, holy cow, that's, that's the guy. Like, we've heard about him forever, and he's here. He's finally here. And so what they do is they literally roll out the red carpet. They pick palm branches off, and they place them on the road. They literally take the clothes off their back and lay them on the road for him to travel on through Jerusalem to symbolize, man, our Messiah is here. He's finally here. The guy that we've been waiting for has come. And so it's this awesome symbol that they had recognized that. They had heard it before, but now it's actually coming to fruition in front of them. But, you know, I, I think the Israelites maybe had it a little bit twisted. They were maybe rejoicing for the wrong reason. Because what they thought was that Jesus was this not only this Messiah, but maybe this conquering king, this, this hero, this army general that was going to overthrow Rome. They thought that he was here to disrupt the oppression that was upon them. 
However, Jesus wasn't riding in to <laughs> declare war on Caesar, the emperor at that time. He wasn't riding in to declare war on Rome. What he was doing was he was here to rescue his people from death. That's the reason why he was riding in as the Messiah, as the king. Not to conquer Rome, but to conquer death. It says in Romans chapter 6 that all the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. The things that we do wrong that separate us from God deserve death. And that's what the people needed saving from. They needed saving from themselves, not from Rome. Rome was maybe the least of their worries. Death was what they needed rescuing from. And that's why Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day. Was, hey, I'm here to conquer, but I'm here to conquer death and give you eternal life. And so, man, I give it to the people. They had a reason to rejoice. They had a reason to be happy and go crazy. But man, redemption did not come by declaration. It came through action. And that's what Good Friday is. And so Holy Week is a, is a combination of the, really the last week's ending, you know, ending with Easter. And so it starts with Palm Sunday. We recognize on Thursday that the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples happens. And today we're going to talk about what's called Good Friday. Good Friday is the day that Jesus waged war on death and won. He gave us eternal life on that day. And, you know, I think oftentimes in our context as Christians, Good Friday is maybe a day that we lament, right? That we reflect, that oftentimes is sad to think about. You know, I remember um, my mom I love her so much. Um, my mom, she hated us watching like inappropriate movies, never watched a rated R movie around my mom. But whenever The Passion of the Christ came out, she made that one exception, like, hey, this is the rated R movie you're gonna watch. And I remember watching that movie and being like, holy cow, look at what Jesus did for me. I mean, he, he was beaten, he was bruised, he went through a lot to give me what I have in life in him. And so Good Friday is a day that we, we reflect on that, right? We think about that, we, we process, man, this is the sacrifice he paid for. But church, this morning, I wanna encourage you, like we not only have to lament and we, not, we, we don't only have to reflect, man, we can rejoice in what Jesus did for us on Good Friday. And so the big idea for today is that Good Friday turned our mourning into rejoicing. Man, we were dead in our sin. But then Good Friday became a time that we get to rejoice and have new life in Christ. And so we're going to talk about some reasons why we get to rejoice and not mourn. First, one, first point that we're going to talk about today is that the perfect sacrifice was brought to give us complete redemption. And then secondly, we're going to talk about how salvation came through humility and not obligation. But the main scriptures for today, we're going to be reading Hebrews 6 and Romans 3. But real quick, before we dive in, I'm going to pray, ask the Lord to speak to us through his word, all right? God, we are so grateful for your word. Man, we are so grateful that it's days on today, like today, on Palm Sunday, that we get to rejoice, give you praise for who you are. And Lord, we recognize you're the Messiah. You came to set us free from death. And so, Lord, allow your word to speak to us this morning. God, may we not only look at Good Friday as a day to to lament, 
but Lord God, a day to rejoice. And so Lord, allow your word to speak to us. It's in your name we pray, amen. So our first point for today is that the perfect sacrifice brought complete redemption. Now you see, Good Friday is really important to be viewed in context, all right? So if you look back in the Old Testament, there was a covenant or agreement made between God and his people. In Genesis 17 is where we first see this happening. Verse 7, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says this, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant right here. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So the agreement that God makes with Abraham is that, hey, I'm going to be your God. And not only your God, but your children's God and their children's God and their children's God. For generation upon generation, I will be your God. And then later in Exodus 6, we see this awesome extension of that covenant. In verse 7, he says, I will claim you as my own people. So not only is God going to be our God, but we are now his people. There is an agreement between us with God that we are in relationship with one another. Amen? Isn't that awesome? God desired to have relationship with us. He invites us into that. But how many of you know that relationships take commitment? Right? Can we all agree that? It takes commitment. And man, if you look throughout scripture, God was committed to his people. There is no doubt about that. I mean, he was so committed that honestly it boggles my mind because there were times where he didn't have the right to be. If relationships take commitment, equal commitment, man, God did so much more. I mean, God was committed despite the children of Israel choosing other gods over him. He was committed even though they did things against his character that that almost ruined their relationship. Man, he was so committed to them even though they would rebuke him when things didn't go their way. And yet, he was steadfast in his commitment. But man, how many of you know that the people of God, I mean, even me today, there's times where I lapse in my commitment. There's times where I'm not as committed to God as I should be. And you know, after Exodus, or even during Exodus, we see that there's this redefining of relationship between God and his people. So the covenant, the original covenant in Genesis is given. But how many of you know, like, if there's supposed to be commitment between people, sometimes you got to readjust, right? And figure out boundaries and figure out some guidelines on how to be committed to one another. I remember when Reagan and I were dating, we had the time of defining a relationship, right? We had to talk about, like, okay, are we boyfriend and girlfriend now? Are we exclusive, right? Like... We, got, we had to establish where the relationship was going, right? To make sure that we knew where our commitment was at. And so God does the same thing with the Israelites. He says, let's make some rules. I'm a perfect God, and yet I still desire relationship with imperfect people. And so let's set some, some boundaries, some guidelines, and how we can love one another and be committed to one another. 
And so that's where you see the Ten Commandments come in. And that's where you see, you know, rule, conduct for interaction, right? Like, God was so holy, so set apart, right? But still desired relationship. And so he said, hey, let's find a way that we can have communion together. Even sets up rules for, man, I know that you're imperfect people. And so here's how you can atone for your sin and be made right so that we can have relationship. And that's where I kind of want to focus on today because the rules of atonement back in the Old Testament, the people had to constantly and regularly make atonement for their sin, the things that they did wrong that separated them from God. And so they would build altars and, and sacrifice, right, and do this regularly. And that was all under the old covenant of the Old Testament. But then Jesus comes right? Jesus comes, and man, I love what Hebrews 6 says. Start, or Hebrews 9, sorry. Starting in verse 12. With his own blood, speaking of Jesus, not the blood of goats and calves, which is what the Israelites used before to sacrifice and make atonement. With his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all time and secured our redemption forever. Holy cow. No longer did the people have to continually fight and struggle to make atonement. And they didn't even have to do anything. Jesus went in their place. Jesus went in your and I's place and said, I'm making an atonement forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins they had committed under the first covenant. And so what we see in these verses is beauty. That God bridged the gap that we had created because of sin, said, man, I love you so much that I will offer myself as the sacrifice that God desires so that you can have relationship. And man, it's not something that we constantly have to look after. It was paid in full once and for all. We are made one in Christ now because of what Jesus did. And man, that was not the case before. If you read the Bible, the people didn't have access the way that we do to God. Man, we get to freely call upon the name of the Lord, right? Bring our needs before him. Before, they had to go through so much just to have a space and time with God. But because of Jesus, right, we have it. 
at our disposal, at our hands. Jesus came down to earth, lived the perfect life, and then sacrificed that life on our behalf. And now we no longer have a barrier between us and God, which is so awesome. And man, I love that ending in Hebrews that we now have a new covenant. The old covenant's gone, the old agreement, gone. There's a new covenant through Jesus that we now get to have a relationship with God. Amen? And so, man, we no longer have to mourn separation. We don't have to mourn that anymore. We get to rejoice in the oneness we have with God. So that's our first point. Our second point for today is that salvation came through humility and not obligation. You see, like we talked about, God was committed to his people. No question about that. He kept his part of the deal, of the covenant, of the agreement. He loved us, loved us even when we turned away from him, right? And so he had no obligation to do what he did. He had no obligation to die for us. We should pay the penalty of our sin. Doesn't that make sense? But man, what that shows me is that so much humility in who God is. And I love this reminder in Romans 3, starting in verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalties of our sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And so what these verses show me is that God, in his humility, bridged the gap between us and him. Right? He saved us by grace. And I remember growing up as a kid, I heard this awesome definition of grace. Grace is God offering his love his forgiveness, his acceptance as a gift. And it's not because we earned it, it's not because we deserved it, but it's freely given. No strings attached. Offered to us. And so on Good Friday, Jesus approached the cross. With that, he approached the cross with grace and said, hey, my love is for you. No strings attached, no obligation. It's here for you. And so we see that, man, the gospel, what Jesus did for us is out of humility. He didn't do it because he had to. He did it because he loved us. And so what that shows me is that, man, God actually cares for you and I. Right? If he did it out of humility and not obligation, then he actually loves us. 
He cares for us. He desires us. And so, man, we get to live in that, right? We get to live in the acceptance and love of God, not feeling like, man, he did it because he had to. He did it because he wanted to. And that's so beautiful. You know, I, I was talking with a friend just yesterday. He's a friend I've, I've known since college and does not have a relationship with God. Did not even know God until I met him in college. And he's an ex- he was an exchange student from Japan, and so he came to the university, um, where I, or came to the town where I was at and went to a separate college, but we met um, through mutual friends. And so I remember just hanging out with him and, and inviting him to church and, and showing him the love that I felt like he needed to experience from God. Now, he went back to Japan, still had no relationship with God, even no desire to have a relationship with God, but had experienced God when he was here in the U.S., wouldn't deny that. He said, man, I remember being with you people and how good that felt, how different that felt from the people that I used to hang around. But went back to Japan and realized, man, there's an empty hole in my heart. I've done all I can to fill it. I have friends, family. I have a job. I have money. I have everything at my disposal that I think will bring me joy and happiness, and yet I'm still empty. But recently, a month ago, he called me up. He was like, man, I'm lonely. (laughs) I just moved to a new town, just started a new job, and I don't have anybody around me. Where can I meet people? You have a good suggestion. (laughs) Can't make this stuff up. (laughs) And I was like, man, quite honestly, the only good place I know is church. I mean, the people will at least be nice to you, and they'll give you the time of day. That's what I know about church. So you can go try one out and see what happens. Guys, that was a month ago, and he hasn't missed a Sunday. And so yesterday, he calls me. He's like, hey, man, I need to talk. I was like, what's up, man? And he goes, Sobi, I'm realizing that God has been pursuing me. And that hole in my heart is something that he wants to fill. He realized that, man, God does not love me out of obligation. He doesn't love me because he has to. He's been pursuing me, even though I experienced God here in the U.S., and I've gone three, four years without even seeing a church again. And in that time, he's still been pursuing me to this point where I now realize what he's doing in my life. Church, God loves you, not out of obligation, not because he has to. He did not bridge the gap between us and him because he had to. He loves you out of a humble heart that says, receive what I have. That's all you have to do. There's no strings attached. It's unconditional. And man, I'll tell you, You can feel when something is out of love or out of obligation, and you can know the difference. I know when people do stuff because they have to for me. And I know, and I know how I feel when I have to do stuff I'm obligated to do. Like, I'll be honest, 
When I'm home, I hate taking out the trash. We have this really weird, like, back alleyway that I have to take the garbage can out of, and it's, it's a mess. So I do that one out of obligation. And Regan knows I do it out of obligation. She knows. But man, when I do something for her, like washing the dishes or cooking dinner when she's super tired, like she knows it's out of love. She can sense the difference. All of us can. And man, there is such a deep level of connection when we do something out of love versus obligation. Again, I tell you guys, I'm so thankful that Jesus did not go to the cross out of obligation. I'm so grateful that he went in humility and love. If he did it just because he had to, how much would it be worth it, right? It's actually worth it because he went out of love. That he went out of humility, that he sacrificed when he didn't have to that it means so much to us. We no longer have to mourn in our sin because we can rejoice in a loving Savior that's sacrificed not out of obligation. And so church, as we close this morning, Good Friday is a day to rejoice. I know it's a day to reflect, it's a day to think, it's a day to, to remember what Jesus did for us. But man, we can rejoice that a perfect sacrifice, a, a God, perfect in all his ways, came down in human form, lived a perfect life, and said, I will take upon your sin, die in your place, so that you can experience life and life abundantly. His perfect sacrifice brought complete redemption. And then we can rejoice that, man, salvation came not out of obligation, but out of humility, out of complete love for you and I. And we get to walk in that. We get to actually have a relationship with God. And so, church, I want to encourage you, this week that we're in, Holy Week, Palm Sunday, all that, this is a time of rejoicing. It's the time to get pumped. It's a time to get excited. And as you reflect on this, as you reflect on all of this this week, as we recognize, man, this is what Jesus did for me. This is what I get to live in. Can I tell you, man, it's going to be so much more beneficial to experience that as we invite people to come and receive that, right, on Easter. As we know that deep in ourselves, deep in our heart, it's going to be so much better as we extend that invitation to someone that maybe has never experienced that before. He is our God. We are his people. We are one with him today. So go ahead, bow your heads and close your eyes where you're at. Man, I'm just so grateful. As I was reading all this this week and preparing for this, 
it just reminds me of how much Christ has done for me. But I remember even before making that commitment that there was a recognition that I needed God. A recognition of, man, there is a hole inside my heart that needs filling. That there's things that I've tried to make satisfy me that won't. And maybe you're like me, like I was this morning, and you're here and you're like, Pastor Sobe, I had no idea that Christ came, was the perfect sacrifice that paved the way for a relationship with God. And I didn't know that he did it out of humility and not obligation. Man, if that's you today, I just want to encourage you. He did all of that for you to receive it. He did all of that so that we could accept life and life abundantly with him. So if that's you this morning, where you're at, and I just want to say I'm so grateful that you're here. You can respond to that today and say, man, I desire to receive from him all the love he has for me, the sacrifice that he poured out for me for the things that I've done to separate me from him. He bridged the gap, and I want to receive that. If that's you today, all I'm going to simply ask you to do is where you're at to raise your hand and say, hey, I want to accept the love he has. Thank you. I want to receive. I no longer want to be separate from God. What I'm going to do in this moment is I'm going to pray alongside with you as you make the decision to follow God. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you didn't look at the gap between us and you and leave there. You bridged it by your grace, by your humble heart and your love for us. God, we recognize that there are ways that we've lived our life that have not aligned with you and your perfection. We recognize that we fall short like we read today in Romans. But God, we know that you came, you sacrificed, you gave, you wiped the slate clean so that we could live an eternal life with you. And so God, I'm so grateful for all these individuals that have raised their hand today and said, man, I received that I want to turn away from my old self. I recognize my sin, but I realize I have a Savior. God, I pray that in this moment that they would feel the extent of your love for them, or God, that you specifically came for them, individually for them, because of your love for them. God, I pray that in this moment you would fill the hole in their heart. Fill the hole in their heart. May they not feel empty anymore but may they be full of you, full of your love. And Heavenly Father, as we reflect this week on how good of a God you are, Lord God, that you came, you died, and you rose again, Lord, we serve a living God. 
Not a dead God. Not an absent God. We serve a living God, full of love for us. God, as we reflect on that this week, challenge us, Lord God, to extend that invitation to somebody. May we not keep it for ourselves. May we not hide it under a bush, Lord God. May we let our light shine for you so that others can receive the same gift that we receive from you. But God, we're so grateful for you. Not just what you did, but Lord God, who you are. Thank you so much, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.